It's been almost two decades since we started our journey to educate and help you take action so you may better manage your financial future. Our goal is to help you accomplish your life's purpose. This podcast reveals financial tips, strategies, and insights that will help you to set your financial goals and guide you along the way. This is Managing Your Financial Future, brought to you by the advisors at Lucia Capital Group. All right, welcome back. Managing Your Financial Future, Johnny Dean, podcast host here. Thank you so much for joining us. This is, we've been off for a couple of weeks. Professor Rick Plum, certified financial planner, professional here with me once again. Hello. 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 We are in uh, new digs yet again. Yeah. But I mean, uh, these, and these are the final ones, right? Well, they're getting close to the final ones. People don't, you know, they, they don't know where we're doing this, but we moved our studios. We moved our studios and now we were, and we were in temporary studios while we moved temp- <laughs> to the new studios. And now we're mostly in our new studios. So but if we sound still, better, there's still a lot of equipment I see sitting around that's not hooked up to anything. There's a lot of equipment. There's a lot of bubble wrap, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We've been off for a couple of weeks here as we start. This is a new season, but we're going to kind of stop this whole season thing. Just call it episode X. Exactly, exactly. It gets to be a little bit unwieldy uh, at that point. But anyway, uh, uh, thanks so much for joining us. A lot of stuff to talk about here. Uh, we could go any number of directions. I wanted to get into you, with you, Professor Plum, I wanted to get into this whole idea. The overarching idea has to do with the transfer of wealth from generation to generation. And um, I'm seeing some of it with myself right now. Other people our age, they're starting to see it. It's always been going on. But, I mean, inheriting things. Um, you know, when, when you inherit assets, there are oftentimes different rules that have to be applied. Uh, but even if you aren't inheriting them, uh, everybody has certain required minimum distribution rules. And I wanted to get into that first. Well, and we've been off for a couple of weeks, and while we were off, the IRS has issued some new guidance on required minimum distributions for beneficiaries. Isn't that just like them to do that while we're on our right. break? Well, as, as you remember, we have new rules for beneficiaries of IRAs uh, as of basically 2020. For somebody who passed away in 2020 who had an IRA, their beneficiary, their non-spouse beneficiary, has new required minimum distribution rules. In the old days, that non-spouse beneficiary could stretch. They could take the the distributions if they wanted to. Now, well, we're talking about IRAs. Let's IRAs, four hundred one ks, qualified retirement plans. Yes, uh, it's what in the old days we had. Old days, two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was if they died, if they died prior prior to twenty twenty. Right. So you know, if you were a non-spouse beneficiary, you could stretch it over your life expectancy. Now, I'll tell you that most people didn't do that. They took it out within about three days. Well, you, but, you did see that. But yes. it also depended on the size of the account. If the account was 20000 they just took it all out. If the account was $2 million, yeah, a lot of times they wanted to you know manage their taxes, so they were able to stretch it over their life expectancy. And so if they were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, they could stretch it for quite a while and not have a huge tax bill all well, at once. And the reason they would stretch it is because if they took out all, all if let's say it was a $2 million IRA that they inherited, if they took it all, they were going to lose a lot of taxes. Yeah, because, that's a you know, $2 million taxable event. That's definitely putting the majority of that distribution at the top tax bracket federally. And if you live in a state, that's the top tax bracket exactly. state for most people too. So, so if they could take it out in smaller chunks, it, yeah. it eases oh, the tax yeah. burden. You, sure. You've got the lower brackets for a lot of people in those areas. Now the IRS, oh, not the IRS, Congress changed that rule in 2019. So for people who died in 2020, they have, their beneficiary 
had a required minimum distribution that was not able to be stretched over their life expectancy. They had a 10-year rule. They said, now the IRS came out with guidance, you know, trying to interpret what Congress's intent was. In 2020. And you know, early 2021, and said, nothing has to come out. Now, if you're subject to this new rule, not everybody, not even all non-spouses were subject to the new rule, but most people were subject to the new rule, 10-year rule. If you were subject to the new 10-year rule, you didn't have to make any distribution for years one through nine. But by the end of the 10th year, it all had to be out. So if I inherited an IRA from somebody who passed away in 2020, I could uh, uh, I could do nothing. I don't have to. The interpretation at the time was I could do nothing, leave it alone, but everything has to come out by the end of the 10th, the year. End of the 10th year. Prior to that, if the it was the person passed away in 2019 and I inherited it, I had a, a required minimum distribution based on my life expectancy. Right, and you had um, to start that the year after the, the year, year of death. Yes, yeah, so I had to, I couldn't do nothing. 2020, they said you can do nothing if you want to, but it's all got to come right. out by year ten. And uh, so, and most people though, when we had people, especially inheriting larger ones, uh, they were taking money out the first year that they did, even though they weren't required. Because let's say it was that $2 million IRA. You know, they were taking at least some amount out, trying to use the lower tax brackets of today rather than just leaving that $2 million IRA to grow for 10 years when it could be $4 million or $3 million, and then taking one lump sum of one big chunk of tax, <laughs> you know, of a taxable right. event. So a lot of people were taking at least some out. Well, um, we're glossing over some of the rules, but we're talking about people that are subject to this new 10-year 10, 10 rule. Um, the IRS two weeks ago, I think it was now, I can't remember the exact date, has issued updated guidance, bless their hearts. <laughs> updated guidance is never good for us. Well, it changes the way things are happening. Now, and it didn't change the no distribution rule for everybody for 10 years, nine years. It changed it only for those of who the owner of the IRA was in the RMD stage. The, the, the original owner. The owner of the RMD, you know, if, if it was my dad, your dad, you know, yes. you know your uncle, you know, they leave you a an IRA. They died in 2020 or later, uh, but they were taking required minimum distributions from their account. So the guidance changed for people who were already of RMD age. Yes. The beneficiary of that individual has to start taking required minimum distribution, continue, I should say, continue taking required minimum distributions from the IRA at, at least as fast or using your own life expectancy if it gives you a better number for the first nine years. So it's basically the stretch IRA required minimum distribution for nine years and then whatever's left, taking it out, in the, it has to be completely you know depleted by the end of the 10th year. Okay, so so, so they, they didn't. I guess they went back and they redid their 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 checkbook, and they realized, wait, we just lost a lot of cash flow coming in. I know you don't. I'm just playing. You know, I'm and letting said, it go. <laughs> I'm letting it go. And they said, wait a minute, we want that cat. We want that tax dollar to show up, so that we can say that we're balancing the budget or a little bit. No, I don't know. But they said we can't let go. We can't let you go for just nine years without taking a distribution. You got to continue doing at least an RMD basically under the old rules for up to nine years. And then you have to take a hundred percent of it out after that. Okay. So let's, so if I inherit it, an IRA, we'll call it uh, from somebody who was required minimum distribution age and had been taking RMDs, right? So that's somebody who's currently over age 72. Right. 
Uh, they were taking RMDs. I inherited. I inherit that IRA uh-huh. uh, from from that person. I now have a required minimum distribution starting the year after the year they died, and that required minimum di- distribution can either be what theirs or or based you can on either mine. base it on their life expectancy or your life expectancy. Does it matter if it's in my name? Well, it would be in my. It would name be a, now. a beneficiary IRA in your right. name now. Right. So I could do either one. Right, whichever one works best for you. Like whichever might be lower, potentially. Right, but, you know, it, so okay. it, it's one of those things. But uh, okay, so typically what, everybody's going to base it on their own life expectancy. Reduce so, it by one. But then, it, but still only a 10-year payout. Yeah, so so what that could lead to is I say, okay, I'll take a required minimum distribution. Let's say I'm in a high tax bracket. I really hate to add to my income, but I will. And maybe I'm going to retire in six years, seven years, eight years. And so... I'm going to be in a lot lower tax bracket in the future, so I'll dribble and drab it out for a little bit, and then take the hit later on when I might be in a. I'll I'll have more room in the lower brackets. All of this depends on the size of the IRA. All of this depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And as as I said earlier, a lot of beneficiaries don't seem to care about the taxes; they just take the money. Well, that's the other side of this. You know, we talk a lot about required minimum distribution rules, beneficiaries, and things like that. to many of them, maybe to most of them, this is found money. And it's, you know, uh, heck, all right, so I pay taxes on, you know, let's say it is a $2 million IRA. I still have a million two in my pocket? I'd say, well, wait a minute. You mean I can access a million plus right now? I'll pay a, a ton of taxes, but... It's still a million bucks I, get I a didn't million have plus before. I didn't have before? Well, why would I want to wait 10 years and... You know, maybe pays a little less than ta- in taxes. Well, it's and I, I would say it's unusual that somebody would need to spend a million dollars in one year. Well, it is, and it's much more tax efficient to take it out at a slower pace. I mean, we're talking about the bigger IRAs, not the ten thousand dollars. Oh, oh no, IRA. absolutely. Um, in fact, a lot of times when they're ten and twenty thousand dollars, it's like. Just take it out and get it over with. Don't be absolutely don't deal with it. You know, don't well, worry about well, it. Well, look at look at look at lottery winners. I mean, what do people? Oh, the what do people are horrible. with with lottery? You know, uh, what what do lottery winners usually do? You you win eighty million dollars. I mean, they say, well, you can you know take it in in chunks over yes. the next twenty nine whatever years in some cases, or you can have it all now, but you're going to lose. I don't well, even you know. lose. You lose. You get two things. Let's say you win, you know, ten million dollars. You know that ten million is the cumulative payout over twenty six years for most of them, uh, and if you want it in lump sum, you're only going to get about six and a half. Right. Well, but then that six and a half is fully taxable, at yes. least at the federal level. Many of the states, even California, if you were if it was a California based lottery or not based, but it's one that's in California, you don't pay California tax on it, uh, which is unusual. But, well, it is, but let's not say that too loudly. <laughs> yeah, they make it nor, nor, nor uh, Social do, Security tax. Some either, states do tax, but yeah. So you get the six and a half, you pay tax, and you're down to four. So instead of getting 10 spread out over 26 years, you, which you get to pay taxes on as you receive it, but you probably pay it in a lower tax bracket, you get you know four well, what, that you could do whatever you want with right now. And, and what people do is they say, I'll take the four. That was four I didn't have. So I went from 10 to four. Yeah. it's I'll um, take it now. And, and unfortunately, it's the the average person winning the uh, the lottery this is money that they've never experienced this kind of money before and they don't know how to handle it and it just can't run out so yes it can <laughs> absolutely it can and it can happen to people with IRAs too by the way i mean found money is yeah. often dangerous well it's, and the pivoting to this can happen to people that take the lump sum payment from a pension plan 
So instead of getting a monthly check for the rest of your life of X amount of dollars, you get a lump sum and you put it in your IRA. I've seen this happen where, you know, they could have had three or $4,000 a month, but they took a million dollars or whatever the number you know worked out to be. And it's just such a large, they're rich. They're, they never expected to have that kind of money in their investment account, their bank, whatever they want to call it. And they spend it. They want, like they, it will they, never run out. They've never seen two commas in their in <laughs> yeah. their bank account balance yeah, on their before. investment portfolio so, before. Wow, that's a seventh number. Right, <laughs> and I we're not including decimals. At no, all. we're not. <laughs> there, these are commas. These are not dots. Um, and, and they end up spending it like yeah. Like it'll never go away. I don't think some people are even aware that that many pension plans will will offer a lump sum based on the. Not everyone does. But no, but many, many of them. them many of them do that. They will offer a lump sum, uh, or give you an annuity payout. Now, what is the lump sum for a pension plan based on normally? Oh, it's based on a, an applicable federal rate. It's based on a government rate, which right now favors the lump sum for a lot of people. That doesn't mean you should be taking the lump sum. You should do the math. Yeah, you do the math, and it also depends on you know, where that lump sum is coming from. There are, uh, that's for private companies, you know, not public entities, yes, that, yeah. not di- teachers. I know that in my uh, area, the local, the, te- the state teacher's retirement system, the lump sum is not a good option. You know, it is what the teacher has contributed from their paycheck over the years that they work there plus interest. Mm-hmm. But it does not have any kind of what they call actuarial equivalency to the check that you're going to get if you take the monthly check. What is it? A, just a made-up number? The check that you're going to get is based oh, on no, I years know that, of service. But the lump sum. The lump sum is not – see, if you have a private pension, the lump sum is a is a derivative of that monthly of course, paycheck. Absolutely. They say, just like the lottery in some ways yeah, would They be. say, how much do you have to have in a pool of money today to create, to create that income stream over the normal life expectancy for the age of that individual? based on the government rates that and so they back into sure. the lump sum with the locals you know the state that i live in their their lump sum is what the teacher paid in plus interest it doesn't include any money from the state it doesn't include it does not have a, an actuarial mathematical basis as a compared to the monthly sure. payout yeah it, and some sta- it's usually you know if you look at the break even it's usually like eight years, seven years. You know, if you get, if you're going to be getting a pension of 50,000 a year, you might get a lump sum of 400,000, $350,000. Now 350,000 sounds like quite a bit, but compared to 50,000 a year for a 55 year old or 60 year old. Well, 350,000. I mean, what are you going to get out of that? About 15 grand a year? Oh, maybe you're looking remember that when you die, that, Three, you know, three hundred fifty. When you die, the pension goes away too. Well, no, so it's that, a little bit different true. math. But all right, but yeah, but it's basically yeah. you're looking at it's probably only three hundred thousand too. It's the numbers don't equate now in yeah. in private law and private law. Excuse me, private practice. It has to equate. The government yeah. regulates yeah. it, and so that lump sum on that fifty thousand dollars may be like eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Well, I tell you, I mean, this and and that's another topic we've talked about in the past too, which has to do with. Uh, uh, deciding whether or not you want to do the lump sum or the annuity option. With and the some pension. of that decision-making comes back to the original intent of today was, do we want to make sure that there's something to pass on to the kids? Mm-hmm. 
Now, that could go either, it could make the decision go either way because it may be such a great payout on a monthly basis that you could leave the rest of your portfolio to grow. Yeah. Uh, so that would be the better choice. Or maybe not a very good payout because the interest rates are so low that the lump sum might be a better deal. It also goes to how long might you live? Well, that's always the question. You know, when you don't know the answer to that question, it makes the math a little bit more difficult to do. Uh, having that unknown it becomes a guess, really. I hope it's a guess all the time. Well, you can make an educated guess, potentially. I've only had one person, you know, when we're talking about these things. So when, when might you pass away, sir, ma'am, you know, whatever. And the, this one gentleman sitting across the table from him, he was you know, probably 65, I can't remember at the time, mid-60s. He said, January 18th, X year. I'm like, <laughs> and it was like 12 years away. I'm like, uh, that's pretty specific. Yeah, it's very specific. He goes, well, that's when my twin grandkids, granddaughters graduate from college. And after that, I'm not needed anymore. So I'm probably out of here at that point. I was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> but wow. I've never had anybody give me that specific of a date before. <laughs> Did you ever check to see if it hasn't been 12 years yet? Oh, it hasn't yet. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Hey, you know, everybody's got their own thing. Uh, now we were going to pivot to something else too. And it we were talking about the required minimum popped out of my head and just different, different aspects of wealth transfer and yes. And things that I've run into in the last couple of weeks. One was this new rule on the oh. required minimum distribution. Yes. But and we're dealing with taxes a lot right now. We've got a lot of people have just filed. Maybe you filed a couple months ago. Maybe you've even got your refund back and spent it already. I don't know. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> but we're, you know, we're just at the after tax yeah. season for most people, and it's still fresh in our minds. Well, it is. Now, he, he, I just thought of what it was. Uh, you know, at the end of last year, for some reason, there were a lot of capital gains distributions and things like that. That last was one year, aspect of it. was a it. pretty high capital gain distribution year. It yeah. was for people that own mutual funds and things like that. And for some people, it caught them by surprise, and it, it kind of so. messed them up uh, from a tax standpoint. But you were talking before, uh, before we went on the show today, uh, about uh, uh, people who had inherited um, portfolios from their parents and had not thought about what we call resetting the basis. Well, Can you talk of, about that? Yeah, there's a lot of things that go on. If you're inheriting IRAs, you have to deal with the required minimum distribution rules. If you're inheriting right. personal assets, uh, you probably want to make sure that, especially if the person has owned it for a significant period of time, you want to make sure that you have the, a, a new basis. What set. do we mean by that? Basis is the starting point for determining capital gains. For most people... It's what you paid for it. So if I paid 10 bucks a share for a stock, my basis is 10 bucks a share. It goes to 15. If I sell it, I incur a $5 capital gain. I paid 10, that's my basis. It grew to 15, I sold it for 15. That extra money that the appreciation is my realized gain. It's a, you pay taxes I pay taxes on that on that $5. But if I own that stock when I die, it's worth 15 bucks when I die. You paid 10 for it. I paid 10 for it. My wife or my kids, somebody's going to inherit that money, that stock. Mm -hmm. They get to reset the basis. They get to reset it as if they had paid for it the day I died. So when they look at their starting point for taxation, it's as if they bought it the day I died. So their basis is now $15. The Which is better for them if they sell it right away. Usually it's better for them. Uh, well. because it, it is a resetting. 
We call it a step up in basis. But it could step. But the reality is it's a resetting of the basis. Yeah, because it could step. It down. could go down. Yeah. I mean, and, and we saw this in 2009, 10, 11. Uh, unfortunately, people passing away at that point when they're, you know, they may have bought it in 2007 and 8 earlier. And they cratered. Or, you know, early 2000s when they were buying, you know, buying, you know, some of those tech right. stocks for ungodly amounts of money and then it was worth nothing afterwards and they don't even get to take the tax loss at the point. The, the nice thing though is yes we it's as if i bought it on the day that the person who i inherited from passed away but even if i sell it the next day it's a long-term gain and inherited money which is a lower tax yeah right, but i was talking with somebody the other day um and they had inherited you know a nice portfolio from their father uh, late 2020 uh and it really caught it was a big mutual fund portfolio uh, big names. Right. I mean, These were all uh, equities, stocks. They and... were almost all stocks. There were some balanced portfolios, but okay, but but the majority right. was like eighty percent you know, mutual stock mutual funds. And this is something that the father had owned yeah, he had, for many and, years, and he had needed it. Uh, he had uh, okay, let it grow. He just let words. it grow for yeah. a long time. Uh, they inherited it, and they were caught uh, in on their twenty twenty one tax return. The inheritor, the the beneficiary. Um, because the mutual funds issued fairly large capital gains. When did this person pass away? Was it late twenty twenty? Okay, so they've they've had this now for a year and a half or so. Right, and then in twenty twenty one, there was quite a bit of capital gain distribution. That's what happens when a mutual fund sells its assets within internally, creates a gain internally, and then it has to pass that gain on to the existing shareholders at the end of the year. Uh, and they were not aware that this was going to happen, and it kind of messed up their Affordable Care Act subsidies for 2020. Yeah. They had to pay back yeah. uh, some of that subsidy because yeah. they were getting their health care through one of the exchanges. Um, and then when we were looking at it, it still their, their statements still showed a significant, significant amount of gain, what they call unrealized or what other people call paper gains. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to my $10 to $15, if I bought a stock for $10 and it's now worth $15, that's a paper gain. It's still, I own that stock and that gain is there, but it could disappear. So on paper, it looks $5. But by the time I get around to selling it, it could be more or less. I don't know exactly. In the accounting world, that's called an unrealized gain. And so on the, her statements, it was showing a significant, even after the large capital gain distribution at the end of last year, which was close to 20% of the overall portfolio, it was still showing about a 30% unrealized gain potential paper gain and i was thinking in one year i mean that's like a 40 percent run-up in one year into 2021 and i looked at some of the gains you know purport, you know, the reported gains on the mutual funds uh through morningstar through yahoo and the, those kind of things and they didn't show 40 percent gains and so i was asking the individual who had inherited i go was this account was this basis ever reset and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, so, so they're calling to make sure that the gain, the basis was reset as of the date of their father's passing. So in other words. Which means that when they do sell this, if they do sell it during their lifetime, they won't have to pay gain. They won't have to pay tax mm-hmm. on the gain that happened during their father's lifetime. They only, only have to pay tax on the gain that occurred since they inherited it. During their ownership time. So what their problem was, they were using probably their father's original father's basis, basis from which was years from, you know, and years 1947. ago. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, well, yeah. This is and and this is something that you're what what you're saying is for people who are inheriting 
portfolios, especially those that have been held by an individual for for long periods of a long time, period and of time, and have let's say they have a lot of gain. Right. Uh, you know, if if they had a portfolio that was worth twenty thousand dollars in in nineteen seventy five, <laughs> and now it's worth you know two hundred thousand dollars. I don't even know. Um, the, the what they have to do is reset the inheritors, the the kids, the, the, the beneficiaries, beneficiaries have to reset the gain. Say, well, wait, no. Uh, this person died a year and a half ago. That original twenty grand that it was worth, his cost basis it really doesn't matter anymore. It, it, yeah, what was it worth the day they died? Right, and and that will help you to avoid. Why do you have to? Do you have to let everybody know that that the basis has been reset? I guess. How does that work? Yes and no. I mean, it's not you have to let everybody know, but I would let everybody know just to make sure that they actually do it. Because unfortunately, it does slip through the cracks at times. You know, they may change the name on it from you know, you know, your uncle Bob to John Dean. Okay, so yeah. they they change the name. They with the money came across, but did they reset it? Sometimes it slips through the crack. It didn't. Make sure they reset the basis. They meaning the, the whoever uh, the brokerage company is that owns is you're either owning if you own mutual funds or stocks, you're owning them directly with the mutual fund company, mm-hmm. or you're owning them through a brokerage company, a uh, brokerage account. Make sure whoever is holding those shares for you mm-hmm. resets the basis. They may they or they may not. Right. And if you have real estate uh, that That's another one that's and real estate's a, a big one because especially lately there's been quite a bit of appreciation. Uh, uh, only over the last twenty, <laughs> thirty years, whatever it was. Um you would want to uh I mean, unless the people bought it six months before they passed away, this house is gonna be the death of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go on, yes. But you know, have an appraisal done. Um, and so that when you ultimately do sell, it's going to, if it's someplace that you're going to live in, you want to have the appraisal done so that you can reset the basis mm-hmm. going forward. And it, that's a little harder to do, I guess. So you just put the appraisal in the, in the file and you but wait. You, you don't, technically you'd have to have it appraised as of the date of death. There or, are right? uh, appraisers that specialize in that depending upon how long oh. ago it was. All right. Okay. You know, but that's why you know, these are the, yeah. you know, a lot of times people say so-and-so passed away. What do I need to do? Well, you need to get a listing of all the assets and get a valuation of all the assets. So this is one of the things that if you're the, the trustee, mm-hmm. the executor, however it's being set up, these are the steps you go through. Get these things done. Now, it will really help also, especially a property that's been held for quite a while, if it's, if you're going to turn it into a rental property. Maybe mom and dad bought a rental property for $100,000 back in 1985. And um, they've been renting it all along. They've been depreciating it. So they're they've gotten the use of it. Now they pass away and they leave it to you, and it's worth $700,000, $800,000 now. I inherited. Remember, it's as if I bought it today. So my basis is now $800,000. In your example. I get to re-depreciate this thing. All Depreciation is a non-cash deduction on your tax return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. And so you get to offset the income that you're renting it for with this depreciation. So you get to have cash flow today. That you don't have to pay tax on. Uh, and you don't have to recapture their well, depreciation. you don't have to recapture their depreciation. But you start a new depreciation You start schedule. a new one. So their their depreciation was based on, let's, let's say it was a condo, so we don't have to deal with land because land yeah. doesn't get depreciated. They got to depreciate the $100,000 over, you know, 20, or what is it, 27 and a half years. So basically, you know, $3,000 a year. They were taking $3,000 off their tax return from the income coming in. Now you're going to re- redo it and depreciate 
$800,000, which is a bigger number, which is a much bigger, I'd say about eight times as big. Uh, so that's about a $24,000 deduction from income. You know. Well, no, and that's important. What, what, what you're making sure people understand here, and I'll keep this simple. That is, if, if I inherit from, you know, let's say my father, whatever, uh, let, let's say a stock that he paid 20 grand for 50 years ago. And I inherit it was the stock. Apple stock from 1994 <laughs> when it was four bucks a share. Yeah, whatever it was, but <laughs> but let's say he paid twenty grand for it. Now this portfolio has grown. You know, he never did anything with it. It just grew and grew and grew, and now it's worth two hundred thousand. And I sell that stock. Let's say I just say I'm going to sell the whole thing. I inherit it. Uh, I sold it. You know, two months after he died. So yeah, let's, little, after very little growth, very little change, if any. Um, I need to make sure that. Uh, the basis is no longer that that everybody knows that needs to know right. that the basis is not what my dad paid for it at twenty thousand. The basis is what it was know, last month. What it was, ago, yeah. yeah. Because otherwise, if I sell this stock and nobody knows that the basis has been has jumped up, in my example, I'm going to wind up paying capital gains taxes on something unnecessarily. Yeah, and and, and and I said it before. We're not happy about paying the taxes we have to pay that we legitimately legally yeah. owe. We really don't want to pay taxes. More taxes that are, you're not required. That yeah, that's that's just not right. Well, it isn't. So so if you're inheriting something, you're saying make sure that the basis when was reset was reset one way or the yeah. other. Yeah, I mean, I've run into quite a few people who have very large positions in a individual stock or in a in a uh, properties, whatever the case, and they don't necessarily need the money, but they're not going to sell that stock until they die, because one, they don't know their own basis. <laughs> they bought it, you know, back in the seventies and the eighties. They you know put in twenty here, ten there. I don't know what I paid for this thing. And back right. then, the brokerage companies didn't keep track of. Well, they, they may or may not have kept track of the the original. And basis. Maybe they reinvested the dividends they, over and over. They're like, I have no, I don't want. I'm just going to hold it's it till I die. Yeah. And as hopefully Congress will continue this this rule, this what they call step up and basis rule, uh, in the uh, proposal last year, the BBB proposal, they were talking about getting rid of this rule and creating what they call a carryover basis, where the yeah. basis carries over to the inheritor. And I think it had to do with your income level. I don't think it was for everybody. It wasn't for everybody, but it, but that income level moved around a lot. And yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact is it that if you have to let's say you inherit you know a 5 or 600,000 dollar investment portfolio from your parents and they and they bought that apple back in 2000 you know or 1994 when it was 4 bucks a share. Now you're you, you sell it for $500,000 and you have a $480,000 gain, you're over the what they called the $400,000 limit. You are, you're subject to it. You, are subject you didn't to get it, yeah. the step up. You know there, I mean there's some weird, weird stuff out there. Who knows. But, so for now yeah, I I don't like the carryover basis because a lot of times, especially the older generation right now that are carrying large assets, they don't know their basis, well, especially on the know? real estate side of things. They have no idea what their basis is. So how are the people that inherit it going to know what their basis is being carried over from mom and dad, grandpa, grandma, you know, uncle Eddie or whatever? Well, how would even the people, IRS? Know? They're going to make liars out of 
everybody. How would the IRS even know? If the person said, okay, IRS, you say owe taxes, tell me what the basis is. The IRS isn't even going to know what it is. But unfortunately, I think this is an area where it's you're, the IRS could say, we don't accept your number, prove it. Well, I could say, I can't prove it, so tell me what your number is. And they'll say 100%. Oh, well, no, they can't. Well, you mean to say that it was bought for zero? It's 100% taxable? But they will go for the biggest number they can go for. Maybe. I, I honestly think it would be too much of a headache. I think, and that's why I hope they don't get rid of this rule. I don't think they will. I personally, uh, this, this, close. I don't Nothing's really close. I, I, I don't see it happening. Um, you know, we've talked before about good assets to inherit and, and, and better assets not to inherit. Um, if you're if you've got a home that you know is going to go to your kids, let's say after you're gone, I know some people who have sold those homes and then given the kids the cash when they die. But isn't it better for the kids to just inherit the home to get a step up in basis? Well, it depends on how close to passing away the parents were. Well, I mean, if uh, yeah. it was twenty, thirty years. Well, yeah, no, that, I'm talking about somebody who's you know. Well, where I see this more often is where somebody puts the title in the name of or the child. That, yes, and and yeah. that's there's no step up there. Either. There's no because what did that individual own when they passed away? They didn't own the house anymore. Yeah. So the that is a gift during a lifetime is a carryover basis. Yeah. You know when if your parents paid you know fifty thousand for the house back in nineteen seventy five. Mm-hmm. And it's worth a half a million now, and they, and they change ownership and give it to you now. Your basis is whatever their basis was, because fifty thousand plus right. the pool plus. But if they pass away, they get the new step up. They get the new basis from today. Yeah, under current if, if law, they own it when they pass away. Yeah, under current law, under current law, which makes things like capital assets, I think, probably good assets for someone to inherit. Typically, capital assets are yes. Um, if you inherit, if I have a choice of inheriting. If somebody comes to me and says, I'm going to make you the beneficiary of one of three of my accounts. Only one, though. They're all worth a million dollars. You get an IRA for a million bucks, traditional, not Roth. Right. You get a stock account. Oh, oh by the way, the IRA is invested in the same stock. Okay, got it. Same or yep. same mutual fund, whatever. Uh, or you're going to get this annuity that I paid you know, $500,000 for. Which one do you want, Rick? Rick wants the, the personal one. I want the personal want. one. They're all invested the same, so I've got the same amount of risk. Let's take that out yeah. of the equation. So the question is, I, and I only get one. I'm the favorite niece, <laughs> not niece, no, favorite nephew. Right. I guess I'm identifying different. Um, um, and my brother and my sister get to pick the, the remaining ones. Yep. So I'm, you're first. I'm first for whatever You're reason. taking the personal. I'm taking the personal money because under current law, that means I get it tax Free. If you inherit income tax free. Well, we talked about what happens if you inherit an IRA. There is a have to pay tax. There's taxes on the the ten year rule because I'm not within ten years. Required minimum married to him. I mean required minimum distribution. But even so, I'm going to have to pay tax on that million dollars, whether it comes out over my lifetime, whether it comes out in one lump sum. That's a taxable event when the money comes out of the IRA. The annuity that five hundred thousand of gain. Remember, I said they paid five hundred thousand for it. That five hundred thousand of gain is going to be taxable when it comes out. So which one would I choose? I would choose the one that's not taxable. That's just the greedy the one that has person the, I am. the step up in basis. The step in up in basis. Words. Annuities don't get step up in basis. That's a tax deferred account. IRAs do not get step up in basis. They're tax deferred accounts. The money coming out of those when they come out are the gain that comes out of those, regardless of how that gain was mm-hmm. created, is ordinary income. 
in general, if you only had two choices, IRA or annuity to inherit, which would you prefer? I guess it depends on the type of annuity. Well, I mean, I can always move it, but I'm going to, and I, right now I'd probably, well, I'd take the annuity in this example because there's only 500,000 a gain versus a million dollars worth of gain. Right. And with annuities, we have some new rules over the past decade where we can, you know, take it out over a period of years. We don't have to take it all out in one lump sum. Okay. So, but again, I'm looking at the taxability. Yeah. Now, you know, if somebody said, okay, let's go back. You have an IRA or the personal account. And we've seen this a lot where we're going to, the mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever, they're going to give, because it's very easy to name a beneficiary on an IRA. We're going to name little Johnny over here, the beneficiary, and we're going to name the cancer you know, foundation, the uh, American heart association, yeah, somebody one of those, as yeah. the uh, recipient, the beneficiary of our personal money. Uh, we see this quite a bit. Hmm. It should go the other way. Yeah. Give, assuming the dollar amounts are the same or sure. Give the IRA to the charity. You know, if you, if you're going to give a million dollars to your kids and a million dollars to the charity, give the million dollar IRA to the charity, give the million dollar personal account to your kids. Kids don't have to pay taxes on the million they get. Now we're ignoring any kind of estate taxes. We're just, yeah. uh, we're just yeah. talking about income taxes. And then the IRA goes to the charity. And how much does the charity pay on that IRA An income tax? Nothing. Assuming it's a legitimate charity, absolutely well, yeah. nothing. Yes, let's we say 501 C3. Yeah, we are making that assumption as well. So from an estate planning asset transfer, and w- yeah. when we get up into the the you know, the digits with multiple commas, yeah, 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 we do see people making larger gifts to charity, uh, yeah. especially when we get up into the eight-digit figure area, uh, $10 million and above. They're going to give X amount. You know, they may give their kids a couple million each, mm-hmm. But they also, at that point, want to give a couple million to this foundation, a couple million to that charity and things like that. And now it's just a matter of which one works the best and how do we make it work. If you've got uh, questions on this stuff, th- this is a big topic. And it, it seems to be big now, especially because, of, well, so many baby boomers. The baby boomers are starting to, to go, right? I hate to say it, but... First year was what, 47? 46. 46. 46, which puts you almost at 80 here. And, yeah, well, so- you're 75. The youngest ones are about 75, and it's happening. And and uh, you have this sort of transfer between generations of different levels of wealth. And as Professor Plum just noted, in, in both the required minimum distribution arena and in the step-up in basis and all this stuff, uh, how you pass along those assets to your kids, even to your spouse in some cases, uh, is important. You You could wind up getting bitten by taxes. We didn't really talk about spouses. We talked about non-spouses. Spouses, I guess, Professor Plum, have a little bit... A lot more flexibility. But but there are still certain things you need to take care of from well, a spouse. you still want to reset spouse. the basis. You still want to do a lot of the things we were talking about. You just don't have that 10-year RMD rule. Right, exactly. And then you have issues of, well, do I put the... Do I take my... my deceased spouses uh, I, I put this in put it in my name do i leave it in their name and there are a whole bunch of reasons to do all this other stuff right. but and, and most of the time nowadays we're not talking a lot about estate tax from a federal standpoint well it's but so there, large I mean, yeah the, but there are still are states yeah absolutely that have you know transfer taxes at death mm-hmm. whether they call them inheritance taxes death taxes mm-hmm. estate taxes they're you know it's all to me it's all a tax if if it's <laughs> going to cost me money when money goes from one generation to another yeah. Um, but there may be ways around that's where trusts come in and you go using this, giving it here, but giving income. But we, we kind of gloss over that because from a federal standpoint, just to avoid income tax or estate tax, we just don't see the use of the trust like we used to, but for a control and, you know, an Mm -hmm. estate, a a state, not estate, but a, 
but state, S-T-A-T-E. level, you may still want to be doing some of that kind of uh, trust work to avoid taxes at the state level. It's always prudent to not just do it from a federal level, from a state level as well. This is why you talk to Professor Pl- this, this is so important. I, I Honestly, you people could wind up paying far more in taxes than they otherwise would have had to if they don't understand how these things work, like step-up and basis, that, the, that their uh, required minimum distributions have to come out under certain circumstances every single year, even as the beneficiary. Now, we do have some, for somebody who died in 2020... Their beneficiary, a ten year or more, more than ten years younger than them, not married to them, they've got the new ten year rule. They were waived in twenty twenty, so basically, okay. and in twenty twenty one, we had the guidance that said you didn't need to take any money out. And then now we have, and now we have the guidance that says you do need to take it out starting the year after the year of death. Well, they weren't waived in twenty one, so all those people who didn't take anything out in twenty twenty one who had some, are they subject to penalties? By the strictest definition they could be but i cannot imagine I the irs either. doing I that i can't imagine no because that was the guidance at the time that was the guidance yeah that was they the guidance at the time i would hope so talk but, about changing the rules midstream well this makes it even more important to have somebody like professor plum or any of the financial planners at lucia capital group talk to them if you are in a situation where you are potentially within the next i don't know five six seven years ten years or or less uh, inheriting uh, assets of any kind, whether it's a capital asset, whether it's personal money, annuities, anything like that, it's important to know what the tax implications are. And don't pay more than you have to. We talk about getting your own financial life in order, but a lot of times we get a lot of our financial life from a generation above us that gets passed down to us. Mm-hmm. Are, have they put their financial life in order because it can be a gigantic pain to get all this stuff done if they're spread out, if they haven't got it straight. Yeah. So this un- it's not an easy topic to talk to your parents and other people about, but it may be something, you know, we're going through this, we're, just, we're getting our financial life in order. Do you have any questions about what's going on with yours? I mean, Yeah, a, a financial advisor can tell you things that they've run into just like you did today in a couple of examples that you may not have thought about. And it, it can help you save, potentially. Uh, talk to any of the Lucia Capital Group advisors, 800-644-1150, 800-644-1150. This is what they do all the time. Professor, you seem to have this down pat, so it's I'm good. always looking up things and reading. Well, you just saw. What was it in the last couple of weeks? I, I hadn't even seen it yet. You've got a closer ear to the ground than I do, but these this new guidance, I mean, this does make a difference. Uh, talk to them, 800-644-1150. We went a little longer today, but I think it's important to do that uh, because, as I said, as this transfer of wealth increases and you have these uh, capital gains taxes that people saw, a lot of them at the end of last year that they didn't expect, these are the things you need to look out for. Uh, also go to luciacap.com. You can go to their website, L-U-C-I-A-C-A-P.com, and uh, find a lot of information there, videos, blog posts, articles, it's all there, luciacap.com. Also, Spotify, don't forget, you can uh, subscribe to our show, listen to our show, download it at your leisure. Uh, Spotify, I I forget what the procedure is, but it's pretty easy. (laughs) It just went out of my head. Go there, uh, you'll find us uh, right there. Uh, Thank you, Professor Plum. we got more to talk about next week. We may get into a buckets discussion. We've had a few questions on that, but uh, in the meantime, enjoy yourself. Thanks so much for listening to this program. This is Managing Your Financial Future for Professor Rick Plum, Certified Financial Planner Professional. I'm your non-advisor host, podcast host, Johnny Dean. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next time.
The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. To the extent that this material concerns tax matters, it is not intended or written to be used and cannot be used by a taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding penalties that may be imposed by law. Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. Different types of investments and or investment strategies involve varying levels of risk and there can be no assurance that any specific investment or investment strategy will be profitable for a client's or prospective client's portfolio. Thus, investments may result in a loss of principle. Accordingly, no client or prospective client should assume that the information presented serves as the receipt of or a substitute for personalized advice from LCG or from any other investment professional. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principle. This material was gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. IRA withdrawals will be taxed at ordinary income rates. Withdrawals prior to age 59 and a half may also be subject to a 10% penalty tax. Roth IRA distributions of principle from a Roth IRA are tax-free. However, any earnings will be taxed at ordinary income rates and a 10% penalty tax will apply if withdrawn prior to age 59 and a half or within five years of the date the Roth IRA was established, whichever is longer. Examples cited are hypothetical, are for illustrative purposes only, are not guaranteed and subject to potential federal and state law amendments. There is no guarantee that you will achieve the results discussed or illustrated. The information provided is based on current laws, which are subject to change at any time. Lucia Capital Group is not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency. Social Security rules can be complex. For more information about Social Security benefits, visit the SSA website at SSA or call 800-772-1213 to speak with an SSA representative. Insurance services offered through LPL Financial or its licensed affiliates. California Insurance License Number 0518721. Annuities are long-term investment products designed for retirement purposes. Guarantees are based on the claims-paying ability of the issuer subject to their terms and conditions. Early withdrawals may be subject to surrender penalties and, if taken prior to age 59 and a half, may be subject to an additional 10% federal tax. Annuities are not FDIC insured. Certain terms and conditions apply, so please read insurance company materials carefully. Before investing, carefully consider a mutual fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. To obtain a prospectus or summary prospectus, which contains this and other information, call your financial advisor. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Rick Plum is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Lucia Capital Group, a separate entity from LPL Financial.